My role's changed with Compassion, actually. I'm now, I'm now in a much more strategic role, so I work across the country. So really value your prayers. Uh, those of you particularly that know Sheila and I, it's a big call we've got on us at the moment, so I'm often away from home. Um, but thankfully, Plymouth, I mean, what's this? This is, we live in Newquay, by the way, um, so it's not too bad for us to get here. Let me introduce you to Joseph. Joseph is a little fella. He's nine years old, and Joseph, let me look. He doesn't have a mummy or daddy. His grandmother is currently bringing him up. So the reason I'm introducing to you, to him to you now is because he's going to be part of my... I hope you can all see him. Uh, he's going to be part of my, uh, my kind of illustration that I'm going to use through this message. And the message I want to bring you today is a message of redemption. We've heard it just now. Actually, Jeff just mentioned it just now. Redemption is such, such an important thing. The underestimated power of redemption. And at the end of this service, for those of you at home and those of you here, my prayer is, our prayer is, that you'll leave this place different, that there'll be an impact in your life today. Pauses, waits for the amen. amen. It's great. <laughs> I'll fill in the blanks. Honestly, you're fine. But seriously, God is about changing lives, isn't he? And he wants us to be different, and none of us are perfect in this place yet. We're all on a journey, is that right? And so today, that's the prayer, that we take another step forward, if we can, whatever that means to us, uh, that's the prayer. Um, redemption is the buying back of something previously sold. Redemption comes from a Latin word, redimere, which is a combination of ready meaning back and emere meaning buy. You buy something back. And uh, I, I'm going to put it in context. I can't think of a better illustration than the one I'm going to use. I used it a few times, but it is a helpful one. I wonder if you've ever played Monopoly. All right, how does that go? Um, so at Christmas, uh, we've got one member of our family is quite competitive, and he, so I'm not going to tell you who it is, just one Sheila says, yeah, we, they're all pretty competitive, but there's one in particular that stands head and shoulders above the others. And at Christmas, this particular member of our family insists on playing games. We've got to play games. And so in the past, we've got out the Monopoly board, and we play Monopoly. And so this very gentle young man uh, very rapidly turns into a despot <laughs> who cares nothing for the family. All he's interested in is himself and his money. And uh, it's quite interesting when you look at the power that Monopoly has over us. The Daily Mail states, Monopoly is a cause, and I quote, of over two, two million arguments over Christmas. <laughs> Should have a health warning on it, shouldn't it? And uh, <laughs> in America, even, there are people in prison because of Monopoly-related <laughs> incidents. And if, if that's not remarkable enough, there's a grandmother currently in prison in America because of a Monopoly-related incident. I'm just saying it's dangerous. So we're playing this amazing game of Monopoly, and suddenly I have a big bill to pay to another family member. And so that other family member who will remain nameless, they know who they are if they hear this, um, 
They will say, pay up. And I'll say to them, well, hang on a minute. I'm really short on money. You know that's going to clean me out. I haven't got enough money to pay you. How about you let me go past go and see if I can earn? Come on, you've all been there. How about let me go past go? And then when I get past go, maybe you can, maybe I can pay you back then. And I look into their eyes, this person that, uh, with, with the help of Sheila, we, we brought into this world have fed and watered for many, many years, and I look to him for grace, and what do I get? Nothing. I've just gone through, gone through blue, uh, red, yellow, green. You know, I've landed on Oxford Street. I've been cleaned out yet again, probably landed on three, if you know the worst three of the lot. I happen to own Mayfair, and I've got a hotel on Mayfair. And so, what does he say to me? Does he say, there's no worries, Dad, you're fine, just, just get past go. <laughs> I'll see you all right on this one. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. What he does, he says, mortgage Mayfair. <laughs> and I said to him, if I mortgage Mayfair, that means my hotel goes. And my hotel goes, I'm not going to stand a chance, am I? Silence. <laughs> Nothing there. And so, what happens? What do I have to do? Well, I very graciously mortgage Mayfair. Take the sell the hotel for half price and I and I mortgage it. And suddenly that which had power to gain great wealth for me suddenly has gone. It's under the power of somebody else. And you know what? The more I think about that, the more like the gospel that is and us. Jacob, Joseph even. Joseph, great life ahead of him, born with destiny, born exactly the same as you, no difference to anybody in this room, but he's born in extreme poverty. All power removed. No power to do anything. And that's exactly what happens to Mayfair when uh, my son makes me mortgage it. It's the same through sin for all of us. If you're in sin, you've got phenomenal potential in your life. Phenomenal potential. More than you realize. Whatever your dreams are now, it's greater than that. And what happens through sin, you're mortgaged. You're rendered powerless and useless and you're in the hands of someone else. Not your proper owner anymore, but someone else. It's incredible. The Bible says this. Paul says to the Romans, I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And the only way, the only way to redeem Mayfair, the only way to redeem this little fella's life, the only way to redeem your life, whether you're in this room or whether you're at home, is for somebody to come and redeem you to pay the price to turn your card back over. Do you understand where I'm going? You see what I'm saying? Powerless, purchased. The difference between the two is pretty dramatic. Now listen to this. The power of redemption rests in the one who has the means to pay the price. So I can't unmortgage Mayfair because I have no resource, no power, no, no nothing to do it. The power of redemption rests in the one who has the means to pay the price. And the problem is, the problem comes, sorry, when it's beyond my capability to get the resource to pay that price. 
Unless when playing Monopoly, there was a benevolent member in my family that would pay it for me. Good luck. Doesn't happen in the Robins household, Christmas or no. Let me read to you Psalm 103, just a few short verses. One of my favorite psalms. I was introduced to this psalm, incidentally. If ever you're feeling low and you don't know how to worship and you you just need a pick-me-up in your life, Psalm 103 is a great go-to psalm. But here we go. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, in all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Redeems your life from the pit. I'm going to show you just one short video. I was going to show you a video from Uganda because you're interested in Uganda. But this is one that I came across recently. It's actually from the Philippines And it's the story, it's a young girl's story. Listen to the story and think redemption. So if media could please play that, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. I grew up in this place. I saw these things happen in my community. At the very young age, I am exposed to drug selling, drug abuse, and drug running. Lorega is a ring in the air. If you say Lorega, then people will always associate you with drug addiction, with prostitution. Child protection is really one of the most important things that we, uh, partners of Compassion, can do to help the child. I asked them what are the dreams, and most of the mother cried. So I changed the question and I said, okay, if you don't have a dream for yourself, what is your dream for your children? And they cry more. And uh, after talking to more than 200 parents, I can't sleep. I can't sleep because imagining and thinking about, I I will be ministering to this place where people don't have really dreams. When I was young, I don't have any hope. But then when I came to know the Lord, it makes something new. He molded me into a beautiful one because of the hope that He gave me. It's really my dream that they can really be released from poverty in all aspects and can be an influencer in their community. I am now a teacher, so now I can teach more students. I can teach more children, mothers, because God teach me. And I want to use my life as a living testimony to those people who don't know Christ yet. Lorega now is totally different. Before, every taxi driver will not come inside Lorega, shooting every day. But Lorega now is uh, totally open with the gospel. I am here standing in front of you because I am one of those children. My sponsor was from the U.S. Through her, I am now a graduate student of the Bible School. I always dream with our children because their lives have been giving hope in the community. When other children will see them, it inspires others. Compassion International, the staff, the caseworker, plays a major role to instill into the child that there is hope in spite of poverty. And Lorega now is a, is a better place than before.
I can say that God is my redeemer. God is my cornerstone. And He has done beautiful things in my life. The cross is redemption. There are organizations out there called Redeeming Our Communities, which are great organizations, but how do you redeem a community? You do it one child, one person at a time. It's the only way. Change a life that changes a life that changes a life that changes a life. The only way we're going to change our nation is one life at a time. I love the fact that what you do in Uganda is changing not just children's lives, it's changing the community's trajectory. It's shifting everything. See, the cross is redemption, and if, if your card is upside down, and some in this room today, your card will be upside down. You'll be relating to what I'm saying, and you'll be saying, I feel powerless over this or powerless over that. I've got good news for you today because the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is here. And he has a love for you which you probably can't comprehend. Nobody can until that day we stand before him, redeeming, gaining back the life, the higher life that Christ originally created me for. Uh, one of my favorite songs is a really old one. I'm, I, f- I find that I've turned into one of those old people that I used to think, oh, flip, they keep banging on about the old songs, and I'm one of them now. But um, <laughs> I was privileged to go to Brownsville when the revival was on. Somebody paid for me to go to Brownsville. I bet most of you probably even heard about it. But um, anyway, I went there, and there was a song there called I Went to the Enemy Camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And uh, I love that song because God's got stuff for you that he wants you to have back. He wants to redeem your life. My favorite redemption book is Ruth. Ruth is a book of hope. It's a book of redemption. Graduates often, and you heard it on the screen earlier, define poverty as zero hope. What is poverty? It is hopelessness. Poverty means I have no capacity, neither capability to change anything or do anything. I am literally a slave to whatever life throws at me because I have no power whatsoever. If you listen to Richmond Wandera, he talks about, from Uganda, he talks about poverty, extreme poverty being deeper than money. Poverty, my friends, isn't money. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. Poverty goes deeper than money. Poverty is a spiritual thing. It's a life thing. You can be a billionaire and poor. Ruth shows that in even the most hopeless of situations, God is there. She shows us the power of the as it turned out. One of my favorite verses in Ruth, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, she's gone through all this tough stuff, and I'm going to put the background in in a moment or two, but through all this tough stuff, and then it says this, as it turned out, 
she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, as it turned out. Maybe today is your as it turned out. Have you got faith for that today, I wonder? As it turned out. Today could be your as it turned out. It's a complicated story with Ruth, and I'm not going to do it justice, but uh, I took a fair bit of time trying to condense it. Around 500 years BC, in the time of the judges, the Jewish lady called Naomi lives with her husband, Elimelech, and she has two boys. They have two boys, and those two boys' names are Marlon and Chilion. And they live in a place called Bethlehem. You've all heard of Bethlehem, I'm sure. And there's a drought. And so Elimelech effectively takes his land, his inheritance, and he mortgages it, turns it upside down. Effectively, that's what he did. And they decide to travel because they can't plant anything, can't grow anything because of the drought. They decide to travel to an enemy territory called Moab, a land of Moab. And their two sons get married to two Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth. And then comes the crisis. Elimelech and his sons tragically die, leaving the three vulnerable women, uh, including Naomi, who, is, who are unable to inherit the mortgage land because they're women. And in the culture, you couldn't, the land had to pass to a man. So Orpha, one of the wives, go, one of the widows goes home to mum and dad. But Ruth decides to stay and take her chances with Naomi and return to Bethlehem. And Naomi and Ruth are destitute, prisoners, if you will, of circumstance. Jewish law, as I say, dictates mortgage land can only be redeemed by a relative. And the relative that can redeem that land is male and is called a kinsman redeemer. Enter Boaz. They return to Bethlehem. They're in Bethlehem. I haven't got time to give you all the story. But Boaz enters this scene. He is a close relative. And he decides to buy the land as a relative. And falls for Ruth because of Ruth's kindness. And because the destiny of Christ that is in her. Offers the land to others who could also inherit the land and become kinsmen redeemers. Where there's a will, they say there's a relative, don't they? And so, <laughs> there's another offer on the table from a guy who wants this land. Wants Elimelech's land. However, Boaz points out, whoever unmortgages the land, whoever turns the land Around Whoever turns the card of the land up, redeems it, also has to take the widow of the dead son. And the kind, guy kind of thinks that's probably not going to go down too well with the wife. So he pulls out, and you should probably know, and if you don't read it, it's only four, four chapters. Uh, it's a happy ending. It's a happy ending. How does that apply to the gospel? My inheritance is lost through spiritual death. I've lost it. Not my fault. Just being born in a fallen world. The deeds to my life are held by Satan, who because of that spiritual death 
holds the rights to my destiny as he does with Joseph and as he does with multitudes of others. Like Naomi and Ruth. I can't afford to unmortgage my life. I, can't, I have no resource to regain my life and the higher life that God called me and created me to live. But I do have a close relative through rebirth. You know what his name is? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is my kinsman redeemer. Come on, this is where you get excited again. He says, you know what? I'll pay the price. See that cross? I'll pay the price. I'll regain everything back for you that was stolen from you. I'll give you everything you were created to have when you were first imagined in the mind of your heavenly father, God himself. In both cases, natural, spiritual, redemption comes through a kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer is a man. And it's a man, Jesus Christ, as you know, and I say this often, it is a man, Jesus Christ, still at the right hand of God. He became a man to come to earth because it was a man, a kinsman redeemer, who could, that was the only way we could be redeemed. And it is a man at the right hand of God today. He didn't revert back into his original state. It is still a man at the right hand of God. It's an inheritance thing. That's why we read that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance when? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Jesus. So what has this got to do with compassion? What about Joseph? What about him? Well, here's a bit of a revelation for you. Redemption is sponsorship. We're all sponsored kids. Somebody today, hopefully, and if it's you, I always, we always, Sheila and I always try and find someone that we feel God leading us to bring up, up front here. As a, as a hope that he'll get sponsored today. But when he gets sponsored, somebody will pay the price and he will then become a sponsored child. And he'll be brought out of extreme poverty and he will get the benefits and everything he needs to break the chain in his family. We're all sponsored kids. We're all sponsored through the blood of Jesus. Let me read to you Ruth 4, 3 and 4. It says this, Then he, Boaz, said to the first kinsman redeemer, in line, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. If you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. So the kinsman has to be part of the family. There has to be a blood relationship. That's there. It's Jesus' blood that redeems me. He has to be acceptable to all parties. Now, theologically, we know that Jesus was the Son of God. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. God's approval was on him. If he wasn't raised from the dead, the approval of God wouldn't have been upon him. So he is approved. He was acceptable to all parties. He has to be able to pay the price. In other words, he himself couldn't have debt. Jesus had no debt. 
spiritually, never sinned. Sin had no hold on Jesus. So he fulfills number three. He's able to pay the price. Number four, he has to be willing to pay the price. Jesus went to the cross. No one took his life. He gave his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave freely. And that's the way with Joseph. When somebody, when somebody sponsors Joseph, they'll sponsor him not because of guilt and not because of pressure from me. If, if that's the reason, please don't do it. Don't divert your money from somewhere else. Don't divert your money from all the other stuff you do here. This is a, an extra pound a day that you'll be giving to sponsor him. But the point is, is you've got to be willing to do it. There should be no pressure. Never give under compulsion, the Bible says. So Jesus looks at us, going to race through this now, sees we're bereft of hope. He's, a, he's now a man, family. He's acceptable to the Father through the resurrection, has no debt, no sin, and he's willing to the point of death. Thus, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 from the Amplified says this, you must now recognize that you were redeemed or ransomed from the useless and fruitless way of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers, not with the corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased, PCC, you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. What does Jesus buy back for us? To say life is an understatement. What is the free life that his redemption purchased? If all we're interested in is giving Joseph life, we just give him some food and keep him warm. That, that'd give him life. But there's much more to life than that. Spiritual life, life in all its fullness. Jesus didn't redeem you and I just so that we can live. He redeemed us so that we can have a higher life. So that we can live the dreams that he has for us. So we can no longer be enslaved. Look at the redeemed life. Number one, a redeemed life is fruitful. I love this. God is a pomologist. A pomologist is a fruit expert says in Ruth 4.13, through, through this redemption, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. You see, what's missed in this whole thing, what we miss in this story is Ruth was married for 10 years but never had a child. Now, through redemption, we see fruitfulness. Now, I'm not going to look too deeply into that, I'm just making a point. When you are redeemed, when you give your life to Christ, you become fruitful, you produce something that is wonderful and good, and it's not for you, it's for others. Somebody say amen, hallelujah. <laughs> it's a God thing. The Lord enabled her to conceive. I love that word, enabled. Jesus' redemption of me changes everything. Jesus' redemption of you shifts everything. Do you know what the first command of the Bible is? It's horrible when preachers do this because everybody looks at the other preachers and thinks they're going to know the answers. And when you're a preacher in a congregation, you're thinking, I'm not quite sure. Is this a trick question or not? And I don't want to look a fool. But the answer is fruitfulness. Be fruitful. 
Be fruitful is the first commandment. You and I were created to produce good fruit. I'm sitting on a plane coming back. Forgive me if you heard this. I'm sitting on a plane coming back from Kampala, uh, taking a, a group out to Kampala just pre-COVID, sitting next to a suited and booted guy, and this guy's name is Jeffrey, and we're chatting, and, and uh, he, he, I, I say to him, where are you going? And he's going to Amsterdam. He's got to go through Amsterdam to get to uh, the States. Why are you going to the States? I've got to go to the States because uh, I'm a lawyer, and I've got to practice, and uh, I'm a human rights specialist, and, I spe- and, and so I've got to go and get another master's in human rights. I've got three or four already, but in order to practice in human rights in Kampala, I need this master's. And then he turns to me and says, what are you doing? This is the conversation killer when you're, when you're a minister. You know, like this is where they wish they'd sat in another seat because they've only got seven hours of sitting next to you. And so, uh, and so I said, well, I, I happen to be a minister, but I said, actually, I work for an organization you probably never heard of called Compassion. And uh, as I said, the word compassion, he looked at me and he said, heard of compassion? He said, I'm a compassion child. Come on, this is another get excited bit, isn't it? <laughs> Opportunity. I said, you're a compassion child? And he said, yeah, I was born in the slums in Kampala, lived in the slums, brought up in the slums. And I said to him, do you mind if I video this? Because I'm not going to believe this when I get off this plane. This is extraordinary. And I said to him, do you ever go back to the slums in Kampala? This is the fruit, Jeff. This is the fruit. Do you ever go back to the slums in Kampani? He says, yeah, I go back every Saturday to the project when I'm in the country. I said, and what do you do when you go back to that project? In the, I'm going to get upset again now. What do you do when you go back to that project in the slums? And he said, I do three things. Number one, I teach the kids about Jesus. Jesus transformed my life. He said, without Jesus, I have nothing. He said, so Jesus is my number one thing I do. He said, number two. He said, my team, I I run a whole practice of lawyers. And he said, my team advocate for the mums and dads and the caregivers, the grandmothers and the granddads who are bringing up the kids in the slums that are in the project. Because as as you'll know, as Kampala grows, they flatten the slums that surround it and the poor just get shunted out and bulldozed and pushed out and out and out and out. And he said, we stand in the gap for them. Isn't that cool? And he said, third thing is, he said... I teach human rights to the kids, particularly the girls. There's no kids in the meeting, so I can say, I don't very seldom will I say this. The sex slave industry is driven by extreme poverty with children. (laughs) If ever there was a reason, that'll do me. He said, I teach human rights especially to the girls, you can say no. You come and see me. Somebody starts telling you otherwise. Do you know what? If ever I thought I did the right thing, moving out of what I was doing into what I was doing, that was the moment on that plane. Fruit. Number two, a redeemed life has a powerful destiny. Don't worry, there's only a couple more of these. (laughs) In case you think there's 20 points. (laughs) A redeemed life has a powerful destiny. Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, Boaz was the guy, remember? Salmon was the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. David was the greatest king, and guess who came through the line of David? Who was the son of David? Jesus. 
Destination is final, and I guess that's a, a vital. And I guess that's a question I've got to ask you today. Where are you going? Do you know where you're going to? Do you like the things that life is showing you? Do you know? Do you care? You've got to be a certain age to understand that. God bless you, David Beresford, for not even batting an eyelid when I did that. <laughs> Clueless anyway, David. <laughs> Sat nav, which Sheila and I, first time we went to LA was before uh, phone, mobile phones um, had sat navs in them. And you could hire a sat nav, and it was like 30 quid a day or something. Do you remember that? And it was, a, it was an eight lane freeway coming out of um, LA, and I asked Sheila to map read for me. You want to kill your marriage? <laughs> right. It's a surefire way, and that can wreck your marriage in a moment. And, um, <laughs> but destination is so important. And the question, do you know where you're going to, is super important. Do you know where you're going to? See, we can sing all the songs that we sang earlier, and the worship here was astonishingly good. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you to the team for leading such great worship. But you still might not know Jesus. It's where you're going to. You're confident in your destination. See, I can plan my destination now. But I also leave a destiny for others in my wake. In my literal car, I have travelers, I have Sheila, I have the kids sometimes. 99% of the time we seem to have grandkids with us in the car. And where I go, they go too. It's called oikos, the realm of influence, the people we influence. Jeffrey is influencing hundreds. Jeffrey, who I met on the plane. Influence, the power of the letters. This child will influence. What did Ruth say to Naomi? Whether thou goest where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. When I joined Compassion, 158,000 children were saved that year. Ruth's destiny is now tied up with Naomi. I'm going to go to my last point. And worship group might want to make a move at this point. A redeemed life produces great fruit. It has eternal destiny. Choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and your destiny is secure. And when I pray in a moment or two, there's going to be two appeals, and that will be one of them. But a redeemed life has liberty. When I was a teenager, I was brought up in uh, Poole in Dorset, and uh, my dad had a speedboat. And when we used to go out in it, he wouldn't let me drive it because he didn't trust me, and uh, who knows why. And then one day, when I was 16 and I knew everything, um, <laughs> he kind of gave me a go. And uh, I remember my friend sitting on the front of the boat, holding onto the little handle that you pull the boat up onto the trailer with, you know? And he's hanging onto this handle, and his feet are dangling over the edge, and we're pootling along pretty fast. And we go down a wave, and it sticks the, buries the nose under the wave in front and comes up the front. And I see my friend literally disappear before my eyes. And I think, oh, I've killed him. I've killed him. I didn't. I didn't. It's all right. It's a happy ending. He was okay. Pretty shaken, I have to say. <laughs> Pretty, pretty surprised and uh, holding on very strongly. What am I saying that for? Freedom isn't 
the absence of a lord or master. That's postmodernism. Freedom is being positioned under the correct lord or master. That's why Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Dylan got it right. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus' redemption works the same way. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Can we all stand together in the house of God for a moment or two? I'm going to draw it to a close. And It's going to be two appeals. One is for you. Are you redeemed? Have you got the full redemption of God? Have you invited him into your life? And if you've invited him, him into your life, are you still going for it? Are you still going strong? Are you regaining ground that the enemy stole from you, I wonder? That's my first appeal. So I want to pray in a moment. If you're going to respond, that's what you're going to respond to. Something like that or something that God has put in your heart. Second response is this. So you need the kinsman redeemer. Second response is this. Is God calling you to be a kinsman redeemer today? You can redeem this life in the physical realm. You can do it spiritually, but you can do it physically. Are you going to stand in the gap and spend your pound a day, sacrifice, not take it from anywhere else for a little fella like Joseph or one of the others on the table today? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I've preached the message as best I can and I'm very aware that we need a kinsman redeemer. We need to be redeemed. And the enemy steals much from us through life. Even as Christians, we can give ground. And in this room today and on televisions at home or on, on podcasts, there are people who need, we need, the full redemption power of Christ in our life. We need to be fruitful, Lord. We want to produce good fruit. We need destiny, Lord. We need to live the best life that we possibly can and accomplish everything you have for us and our children and our children's children. And we need the absolute liberty to be free to be the person you created us to be. Right now, in the name of Jesus, around this room, Lord, and at home, and those listening with earshot of my voice, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will work your wonder, and for every heart that's reaching out to you right now, come on, this is your bit, every heart that's reaching out to you right now, Lord, I pray that you will touch them, that you will break those chains, and that you will bring your redemptive power into these lives. Some in this room have been told there fat or ugly or stupid that is a lie from the pit of hell come on redeem your life today some here have been broken and hurt through betrayal you've been wounded and it's left a scar in you and you've not yet redeemed the higher life that God called you and gave his son for you to live in Jesus name come on redeem it today redeem it the kinsman redeemers here Jesus is here for some of you, maybe it's you've been through pain in a marriage or you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe it's a child. Redeem your life today. Here we go. 
In the name of Jesus, I receive from your hand today, Lord, redemption in all its fullness. I turn my back on the lies of the enemy and the lies of my own head and heart and certainly the lies of this world. And I declare the power and authority that comes through the cross of Christ over my life. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Come on, say it. I am redeemed. Say it again. I am redeemed. One last time. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I celebrate that redemption in Jesus' name in the house today. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord an offering for that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right. Eyebrows together again. Heads down for a moment. Father, I pray for the house today, for those in the house today that could be a kinsman redeemer. I thank you, Father, for those in the place that currently sponsor. And I bring release and relief, Lord, for those that can't sponsor, that feel guilty. I pray that you'll lift any guilt from anybody, Lord, in this house today. For those that can't do it, if the timing isn't right or they just don't have the resource, that's absolutely hunky-dory. Father, I pray for release. But for those who you're convicting today, for those today, Lord, that can stand in the gap, for those that have resource and that are hearing from you, not from a preacher, but from you, I pray in Jesus' name that they'll resolve right now. Going to do it going to do it, going to stand with a young life and see a young life set free in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pray this prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for having me.